What do eight bags of concrete mix, a cooler full of 30-pound sea bass, and a 10-inch compound miter saw have in common? They're all things that are easier to load in and out of the bed of the new F-150. Thanks to its new available pro-access tailgate, that's also a swing gate. The new 2024 Ford F-150, tough this smart, can only be called F-150. Available starting early 2024, pro-access tailgate available starting spring 2024, cargo and load capacity limited by weight and weight distribution. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey everyone, welcome to A Good Football Show. I am Matt Straup. Depending on when you're listening to this, it is either the eve of or the day of the NFL Draft, the day of the start of the NFL Draft. And today, we are going to be looking at the draft needs for the teams in the NFC West, plus some players in this draft we are higher on than the rest of the industry, from quarterbacks to running backs to wide receivers to tight ends. Players we are higher on than many others might be. I'm joined by Thor Nystrom and Eric Froton. Gentlemen, draft day is basically upon us. How is morale? How are the energy reserves? How, how are you guys feeling? Feeling strong? Feeling really good. And and tomorrow, I mean, it doesn't matter how little sleep you've had in the, the weeks leading up. You know, tomorrow you can be juiced up. I can't believe it's the eve of the NFL draft already. It's draft Nick Hanukkah uh, slash Christmas slash Kwanzaa, whatever you want to call it. It is the eve of our favorite time of the year, and I can't wait to see what the picks look like tomorrow. Absolutely. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Listening to your favorite podcast? That's smart. Earning your degree online from Southern New Hampshire University? That's really smart. With 24-7 access to coursework, no set class times, and dedicated student support, you can go to school when and where it works for you. Low online tuition means you can even do it for less. And dedicated student support means we'll be with you from day one to graduation and beyond. Join a community of learners just like you. Go to snhu.edu today to start your free application. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Okay, well, let's look at these team needs for the NFC West. This is the last division breakdown we're going to be doing. And it's interesting because the two best teams in this division last season do not have a first-round pick. The Seahawks, of course, won this division with a 12-4 and record. They let Russ cook for a while, then decided against it. Uh, the Seahawks picked 56th, 129th, and 250th in this draft. Not an appetizing collection of picks if you're a Seahawks fan. What needs can they realistically address with that limited of a set of picks, Eric? And I guess you really focus on that 56th pick. What can the Seahawks do? I think you can whittle it down to two options with that 56th pick. It's either going to be their offensive tackle, which they need to have a succession plan in place. Dwayne Brown is 36 years old. He's got one year left on his contract. You're going to have to have somebody waiting in the wings because you don't want to I mean, we've already heard kind of rumblings about Russell Wilson being a little bit unhappy in the offseason. You want to keep him protected at the very least. Uh, Their right tackle, Brandon Shell, is uh, a fringe star. He's acceptable, but it is certainly upgradable. Uh, I got to think with a relatively deep tackle class, there's going to be a pretty good set of pickings for them. Perhaps uh, Dylan Radens, North Dakota State, uh, was Trey Lance's blindside protector. He had an excellent senior bowl. Tested it out very well. I'm a big fan. I'm pretty sure Thor is as well. Uh, perhaps if, you know, they wanted to reach a little bit or trade up, uh, James Hudson, Cincinnati is another guy I think could 
could be an option, but you know, the best case scenario would be Raiden's. Also, you want to consider the outside corner situation where uh, their 2020 week one starters, Jack Griffin, Quentin Dunbar, were free agents. They're going to need somebody who is a bit more youthful uh, that they can project coming in if they want to go that direction. My favorite, uh, as you probably heard, cornerback that would be available in that range. I love Asante Samuel. He's a little small, but he his technique, form, speed, everything is on point. Uh, if that doesn't materialize, maybe look at Tyson Campbell or if Eric Stokes were to fall. I know John Day was a big fan of him, as we talked about in the last mock draft. Uh, so those would be the two primary needs I would be looking at at that 56 pick. Yeah, Seattle's just in a tough spot. You know, not not only did they not have the first rounder, which I I, I lament, you know, I poured out a 40 for that one because one of my favorite moments from the draft every single year is seeing what surprise guy they take out of left field in the first round. You know, it's just riveting cinema. We're not going to get that this year. They don't pick until, you know, whatever slot is at 56. 56. Yeah, when they first come up. And then after that, they only have two other picks. One's in the fourth and one's in the seventh. They're, you know, their third pick is 250th overall. That's it. They're not going to be trading up. There's no way. Um, I think that they're going to be looking to trade down from that 56th pick. Um, and, you know, hopefully you can accrue a couple other uh, day three picks to maybe sort of flesh out uh, a draft class out of it. I don't love their chances. I, you know, I, I will say that. And, you know, Eric was going through some of the needs. One thing they have going for them, at least, you know, at least is they do the cornerback need, I think is acute. And then the, the, the safety need as well. That's probably more of a, a tertiary need, but because of the system Seattle plays, they'll be, you know, sort of some of the, these guys that, w- that are non-fits for the man coverage schemes are going to fall down. We, we have some like of those mid-round, like super tall uh, cornerbacks, you know, that, that just didn't quite hit the threshold or, um, you know, for instance, a guy like Divine Diablo from Virginia Tech, who is essentially a doppelganger for Cam Chancellor coming out. We, you know, we don't know if he's, he's going to blow up or whatever, but uh, a guy like Diablo is not a fit for most systems, but he's a great fit for Seattle's cover three. Um, and so, like, if I'm them, that's what I'm looking at. And I'm trying to accrue some extra picks there in, in day three. I don't even know that I would pick in, in the second round. I would try to trade down to round three and just sort of accumulate some picks so we can hit, you know, cornerback. Uh, the offensive line obviously still needs help. They need an edge rusher as well. Interior defensive line, another receiver. I mentioned the safety thing. You have more needs than three. And with the three picks they have, they're not going to get immediate help, you know, in, in two of those spots, you would think. Thor, what 40 did you go with? Are we talking old English, Colt 45? Always Colt, Colt 45. Always yeah, Colt 45. Yeah. King Cobra for me. King Cobra. Oh, I like that. A classic. <laughs> hey, old school, East Coast. It's overall. The Rams went 10 and 6 and beat Seattle in the wild card round. LA has a new quarterback, of course, in Matthew Stafford. The Jared Goff era is over in LA. They also don't have a first rounder, just like the Seahawks. Their first pick, in fact, is one after Seattle, 57th overall. What are the Rams' needs and realistic targets, Eric? I mean, they at least have basically a full complement of picks after that 57th pick. Yeah, well, geez. The Rams had to give up two first-round picks for Stafford, one for the player himself and the other to uh, cajole Detroit into taking Jared Goff's horrible contract, which was just signed the previous offseason by Les Snead. Uh, not exactly a forward-thinking move by the Rams. you know. So they're in a tough spot next year as well. So the good news is uh, they have the 57 pick. They also have the 88th pick in the third round, and they got a compensatory selection at 103 at the back end of the third round. So at least they have a little bit of draft capital on that day two uh, to kind of fall back on. Similar to the Seahawks, offensive tackle. They have a long-in-the-tooth offensive tackle, probably two of the oldest in the entire league in Andrew Whitworth, who's coming off a knee injury and is, wait for it, 39 years old. 39. 39. So, you know, anybody who is probably better off suited Playing catcher in my old man softball league is probably not somebody you want to depend on for a full season in the NFL. Uh, so they're going to absolutely have to think about what's going to be done there in the near future uh, at the 57 pick. It's funny, the, the, the Seahawks and the Rams are literally back to back in the second round. Uh, so they're going to, they could be fighting it out, you know, if Dylan Raidens were to fall. It's the same cast of characters that we were talking about before. But with the Rams, I think you'll probably see them wait. Since there's, there's a pretty nice selection of third round tackles, you know, maybe you go Spencer Brown, you go Walker Little, uh, either of those would be a, a pretty intriguing pick. And at least you could wait a year, hopefully, to develop those guys. Uh, otherwise, you're going to want to look, the, the Rams have simply not had an impact 
off-ball linebacker since uh, Animal's son, James Laurinaitis, hit the road. So uh, currently they have Kenny Young in town. He's a fourth-rounder in 2018. Another 2018 fifth-rounder, Micah Kaiser, uh, are pretty much looking at their – you know, going to be handling the interior of that front seven. That's not a recipe for success, especially in a very competitive NFC West. So uh, at 257, they'd probably be looking at one of one of those off-ball linebackers to fall. You're not going to see Jamin Davis. That's simply not going to be an option. But, you know, maybe, maybe a thumper like Nick Bolton falls, uh, you know, obviously great in run support, not so great in coverage. Uh, or, uh, you know, an underrated guy in Jabril Cox, who was very productive at a lower level until he went into LSU – Last season, transferred in as a graduate, and he started every game. You know, he was pretty versatile. Uh, could be a nice fit there. If they opt to wait to the third round, you got Baron Browning, who tested like a superstar, uh, one of the best, frankly, RAS scores in the history of any linebacker since 1987. So uh, somebody that they could at least mold into that uh, into that role. And Dylan Moses, who is, shall we say, not an instinctive player. Uh, for Alabama, but possesses all the physical tools you like to see. Maybe they can coach him up and put him in there if he would happen to follow their pick in the third round. Yeah, it's it's definitely offensive line and secondary for them. And, you know, like you guys mentioned, they don't have that first round pick. It, it, but, you know, it's not the same thing. I think this, the Seahawks have a gun to their head in trading down with their second round pick. It's the only way they can get any sort of equity and, again, try to flesh that thing out. The Rams don't necessarily have to do that. And they got to think long and hard about the way the board is. You know, once, and they're, they're going to get a shot, you know, from Thursday into Friday, do some math on like these positions of need they have. Cause th- they also seem to have like one or two more positions of need than they have, you know, picks that are high enough to, to potentially get a guy where you could do that. The cornerback thing and, and, and offensive tackle, I think, are the primary things with 57 and then 388. And then they also have 3101. So right before we we sort of then switch into, into Saturday, the offensive tackle and the cornerback one are acute. With, with two of those three picks, you have to do that, especially because those classes are they're pretty strong tier one, tier two, tier three, but both of them, it's like, there's like a shelf, like when you're walking like in the ocean or in a lake or whatever, and it just falls off. Um, both of those, it's right around there. And then it becomes just dart throws on high upside guys or else getting a guy that you know is going to be, you know, a backup, but probably cap there or whatever. In my mock draft, I gave them Tyson Campbell in with the 57th pick. And then at 388, again, that's where the, the tackles start to, you know, where it's getting very far down there. As far as those guys that I, I would trust to potentially play early, the guy that I got for them was was Stone Forsyth. Eric mentioned a couple other guys, you know, as, as far as that need, you know, Walker Little, you probably don't want to trust him next season. Um, but, you know, as, as far as a developmental guy going forward to potentially take over for the the older guys, he'd be an option. He may go higher than that just because people are still enamored with the, the recruiting pedigree. And then our Darius Washington was the other guy that I gave him in the third round with pick 103, a guy who is assuredly going to fall down because he's, you know, small and the, the measurables, et cetera. But um, a heck of a play. He's, he's a mighty mouse, you know, kind of a guy. And, and so I, I think that would be a good fit for them as well. And I think they're going to use their three day three picks on high upside uh, type flyers, the, the athletic uh, type guy. So Derek Barnes, a linebacker with an 8.42 Raz, was a guy, a guy that I thought would be a fit for them there. And also the, the edge class is a, is a little bit deeper. You know, it's it's not the best at the top, but it, it is a little bit deeper where, where you'll, you'll have some options later. So I think that, you know, if they wait till the sixth or seventh round there, you still might be able to find a guy that can at least come in and you know, you'll be comfortable developing. The Arizona Cardinals went eight and eight in year one of the Kyler Murray DeAndre Hopkins pairing. They hold the 16th pick and we've seen them taking JC Horn in a lot of mock drafts recently. Is defensive back the main priority here, assuming that one of the top handful of guys is there, Eric? Yes. Unequivocally, yes, it is the, the number one need that you're talking about for Cliff Kingsbury and company. Uh, they play a lot of cover man defense and they're kind of blitz happy. So uh, with Patrick Peterson leaving for the Vikings with their number two CB, Robert Alford, uh, basically just sort of signed on the cheap. Can't expect too much from them. They are deadlocked on taking the best cornerback on the board at that point, which, you know, Sertan will probably be off. But uh, whoever falls from either J.C. Horn or Caleb Farley, I think would be the overwhelming pick here for the Cardinals. Uh, They also have the number 49 pick in the second round, which they could use to address running back. They lost Kenyon Drake. They only have Chase Edmonds on the board uh, currently in terms of somebody that could even possibly be a starter. So there's going to be some pretty good value there. If uh, a favorite of of ours, Thor in mind, Javante Williams, were to happen to fall that far. That would be a dream scenario, of course. But uh, 
That being said, you could also look at offensive guard. They lost J.R. Sweezy uh, to free agency. Their other starter, Justin Pugh, 31 years old, took a pay cut because he's, you know, wasn't didn't grade up that favorably. So you can see him go in that direction as well with that second pick. Yeah, I, I agree. The the first one at 16, they're sitting dead red on a corner. You know, you can't wait to 249 there, you know, because if you really want to turn around that area of your team, you got to pull the trigger here at, at 116. The, the corner class, it falls off after four. And then there's a couple guys, you know, in sort of tier th- two and then falls off again. If, if you don't take one here, you leave your susceptible, yourself susceptible to perhaps having to pick from the top of tier three once the time you come up at, at 249. That to me, that the need is too acute. So, yeah, I, I would be sitting dead red as well. I think Horn is going to be gone by then. You know, it, it seems likely. So it seems like the decision will come down to Farley or Newsom. And I absolutely agree with, with Eric. I, you know, just thinking, I mean, I would take Farley, of course. But just thinking through, you know, the, the types of personnel decisions that this administration has made the past couple of years, uh, Farley's, you know, upside and, and the athleticism, uh, the flashes there, the field flipping, the explosive plays going the other way. I, I think they would lean him. All right, the last team in this division, the Niners finished last in the NFC West with a 6-10 and record and have the third pick in this draft after trading up with Miami. We've discussed almost endlessly what they're going to do third, and we will have our answer soon. So what should San Francisco target beyond whatever quarterback they end up taking, Eric? And feel free to weigh in with any closing thoughts on that quarterback situation if you have anything to add there as well. Well, it appears from all the scuttlebutt that Justin Fields would be out of that conversation. So it looks like it would be down to Trey Lance and Mac Jones. Uh, I would personally prefer Trey Lance if that were to be the binary choice. Although you, your guess is as good as mine at this point. It seems like the betting odds have swung back in the favor of Mac Jones. It's been a roller coaster in terms of those odds. Is it Trey? Is it Mac? It's been up and down even this week. It seemingly is changing by the second. Um, but in terms of, you know, secondary needs, you can always use a, a cornerback. It seems like we keep saying that everyone could use a corner. Um, but in terms of their interior offensive line, they, they've expended a lot of capital on their tackles. Both are rock solid, no problems there. But their interior offensive line is pretty much full of mediocre guard play. Uh, sixth rounder, Justin School, UDFA, Daniel Brunskill, and fifth rounder, Colton McKivitz. If they get the opportunity to improve upon one of those positions, you have a pretty good class, I think, at that 43 pick where they're at to be able to see if, you know, you could grab a Wyatt Davis. That would be very nice. Maybe you want to take Creed Humphrey, bump him out. If you want to take go that direction. I happen to like, if you're going a little further down the board, I like Trey Smith. Uh, I thought he did a, did a great job. And Deontay Brown, you can always kind of go in the third round with their the, the number 102 pick with that big meaty meatball who just uh, if you're in front of him, he's going to maul you, but if he's going to move, you can avoid him pretty easily. So um, I think, you know, guards certainly a play. And uh, I suppose Fred Warner could use a off ball linebacker running mate. You know, he's a star, but uh, it seems like the the guys they had next to him weren't able to hold their weight. So uh, those would be their, their secondary needs, I think in my target. San Francisco really, you know, whoever they end up deciding to take it three, they need to be right. They have to be right. Uh, not only that, they need to have a really strong draft here, th- the rest of the picks as well, because obviously next year they don't have their first round pick, nor the next year do they have their first round pick. Next year, their their pick equity right now, they got a second, two thirds, a fourth, a fifth. And that's sort of what's gonna, what it's going to be looking like the next year, too. Uh, the manifestations of trading all these premium picks to move up here is the rest of your roster could start to suffer, you know, w- without having, you know, the young talent infused or whatever. But again, the quarterback, the, that needs to be right. And it would be really nice with these other, they have two, four, six, eight. They have eight other picks here. It would be really, and a lot of them are, are later on in day three, but it would be really, really nice if, if we could nail these ones. As far as the quarterback three, Eric said, like, you know, it's like every day, it, you know, it's like the information changes or whatever. I have decided to just say, I'm predicting Trey Lance. I'm not listening to the nonsense anymore. I'm, I'm shutting it out. Uh, you know, Trey Lance is the slight underdog to to Mac there, but yeah, it seems like Fields is out. And then as far as the day two stuff, so yeah, picking a 43, picking at 102, Eric mentioned it, you know, it's cornerback, interior, offensive line and edge, I, I think. And then, you know, later on, we can grab a running back that can maybe play right away. We'll, we'll see. The 43rd pick is interesting because there's that sort of quagmire of edges where, you know, they're all sort of guys that have questions to them or they need further development, et cetera. Um, and it seems like 
if the first one isn't taken until like the mid teens or whatever, and then the second one's not taken until like the early twenties, you could have a situation where one of the guys that people projected as a first rounder could potentially get there. If not, certainly you will get it. You know, one of the top tier two guys at 43 and a guy who can come in and, and play right away corner. I think I would wait on that until the third round, uh, because I, I think, you know, up until that point, you can still get a dude, you know, that at least can come in in certain situations and, you know, if, if not play, you know, heavy right away. And then in the fourth round, what I would be thinking for them is, you know, again, it's a running back. And then after that, you know, you're, you're just going for, you know, guys again, that, that you think can stay on the roster and you can develop them going forward. Cause if not, and you have to replace those guys with, you know, one year veterans every year, that's where they could get into to try trouble here, you know, in, in these years, years coming up where they don't have the draft equity. But I thought Kenny Gainwell, as far as a middle round running back, he, he's a guy that I comped at Raheem Mostert. So I, I know that, you know, he's very much their type. And Joe Tryon was the edge I gave him at 43. I, I think that they would be happy with that. And again, it's even possible, who knows, that a guy like Gregory Rousseau, who's, who's been getting nitpicked a lot, would he fall down in, into the early 40s? I, I think that would be a slam dunk if a guy like that did. But otherwise, you know, guys like Tryon, not bad consolation prizes at all. I don't ask for much, but I think we need during this draft, during the first round, we need a Thor cam for when the Niners pick third. I just want to see Thor's face if the Niners take Mac Jones. That is all I want. I just <laughs> want to see the look on your face, Thor. I mean, if they take Mac Jones, it's a horror show. You know, I mean, like I, I would feel bad for 49ers fans. That would be the conviction of, of one man thinking like I am smarter than the game. I, I don't need the game breaker types. I, I just want someone who is going to do exactly what I say, what I say. I want a Manchurian candidate. I don't want a singular athlete. Um, that would be troubling just in a vacuum of a decision. And then, of course, the draft equity, the way you've leveraged yourself. I think it'd be an enormous mistake. And yeah, my face will probably show it. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Listening to your favorite podcast? That's smart. Earning your degree online from Southern New Hampshire University? That's really smart. With 24-7 access to coursework, no set class times, and dedicated student support, you can go to school when and where it works for you. Low online tuition means you can even do it for less. And dedicated student support means we'll be with you from day one to graduation and beyond. Join a community of learners just like you. Go to snhu.edu today to start your free application. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. We want to remind you that our premium product subscriptions at NBC Sports Edge cover all sports. So right now you can still get access to NBA, NHL, and MLB premium products for 10% off any subscription. Go to edge-plus.nbcsports.com, enter the promo code GOOD10. All right, guys, part two of this episode is going to be players we are higher on, namely you guys are higher on than the rest of the industry. We're going to go through and focus on the offensive position groups. So we'll start with the quarterbacks, Thor it could be as few as one name, could be a couple names, a quarterback or quarterbacks you believe you are higher on than the rest of the industry. And Eric, you can jump in right after that. So I guess, you know, I'll just say Justin Field, but I've, I've talked about him plenty as a guy that I'm higher on. Um, and there, there's a few guys that are still with me there on the Justin Fields QB2 thing. But again, I've talked about him plenty this spring. So I'll, I'll move on to a guy deeper down. Jamie Newman is my, you know, sleeper type quarterback. He's a guy who opted out in 2020, didn't play. And because of that, he's seen all of these guys jump him. If you look at like the two early mocks last year, he was like the was right outside the first round, you know, or in some, he was like in the late first round, but, you know, sort of right at the top of tier two, he, he was like the gatekeeper into, into tier one. And then again, he didn't play this pass. He, he could have even moved up, especially the situation he was going to. He was coming from this wonky offense in Wake Forest, the claw fence, you know, super duper up tempo and stuff like that. And he was going to play at Georgia, right? You know, a, a system that obviously sends a lot of people to the NFL, et cetera. And he was going to get to throw to a guy named George Pickens. And, and, you know, they just have a ludicrously deep uh, receiving core and obviously a good offensive line in a running game too. I think that's a situation that very much would have his skill set would have played up and he would have kept developing again. I, I think he would have at least stayed where he was or perhaps even moved up. But because he didn't play, 
he started to fall behind these other dudes and the tape that he had he had to go back to 2019 and you know some of the decisions that he made get nitpicked a bit but if you look at the pff as a stat of like big time throws i, I think is what it's called and I think that season, uh, Jamie Newman finished number two in the country to uh, Lawrence. He's a great deep ball thrower, and he's got big-time athleticism, too, for a big package. He's not a twitchy-type scrambler like, like some of these other guys. He reminds me of David Garrard. It's a guy who's like, you know, a 240 pounder, 240 plus pounder um, who can move well outside of the pocket when he needs to and can also push the ball uh, down the field. A guy like that, as long as he gets, you know, passes a certain uh, developmental threshold line um, is going to be able to stress the defense just with his skills alone, both horizontally and vertically. And the thing that that can do for the, I mean, we saw with a guy like Gerard Newman's, his ceiling isn't, you know, a superstar or anything. You know, again, I, I think his, his ceiling is Gerard and he's going to be available like in the fifth, maybe even the sixth round. I, that's the dart throw that I, I would make. Yeah, I have no problem with Jamie Newman. In fact, I'm borderline shocked at his current uh, over under. I think it's a once. 170 somewhere in that range right now and uh, it's simply absurd because he's right there in that tier I would have him with Trask, Mond, Newman you know right there at terms of the the end of the quarterbacks where I'd feel good about them being developmental prospects and he fits that mold that of sort of a you know the Dak Prescott, Jalen Hurts where they're those guys who are really good athletes that get taken down the board with big arms they can develop better. You can build around those guys. And I have absolutely no problem with Jamie Newman. And frankly, I I think he'll be a steal in the fifth round if that is indeed where he ends up falling to. I think that's a great call. Further down the board is is just my dart throw uh, seventh rounder. I'd like to see if Flippy Franks can be molded by a decent, you know, uh, NFL quarterback coach. He's 6'6". He's athletic. He's mobile. His accuracy is certainly challenged, but he beat out Kyle Trask for two seasons uh, at Florida, and he had a pretty darn good year at Arkansas with uh, with Kendall Bryles running the show at, as their offensive coordinator. So I, I do think that there's a little bit of upside there as a seventh-round dart throw. Yeah, yeah, he, he's interesting for sure. I have him right behind uh, Shane Bouchelle in my rankings or whatever. Bouchelle, is, you know, he'd be another guy, I guess, that I'm a little bit higher on. Um, but, you know, Frank's right behind him. And, and I agree with you. Frank's played better at Arkansas last season than than people know. You know, a lot of people saw him at Florida, obviously, initially. He was, you know, his recruiting pedigree, you know, and everything like that. Played early. And he, and he wasn't very good. You know, he, he made a bunch of wonky decisions. And the accuracy, it's a problem. Like, you know, we're going to have to work on that. But last year, he, you know, again, played a lot better. And something you saw that, you know, got incorporated in his game more and more and more as time went on with the scrambling thing and the more he can cut down on the mistakes we already know now that he's good you know in the open field you know he's a big kid but you know i mean he also runs with some power and he takes care of the ball etc um and so you know the arm strength it's a bazooka you know when you watch him in the the all-star game or whatever that was the high school all-star game that was the first time when he's throwing these moonshots yeah i'm definitely down with you there moving to running backs the guys that i think i'm higher on than other folks starting at the top of the board javante williams i he's been my rb1 from jump street now he's moving up in some people around the industry you know he's number two on a lot of boards whereas you know he was like three like after a drop off from you know what was considered the top two at the time Najee and and travis Etienne. uh recently pff in their last um update of their board moved javante up to number one um and we've seen some positive reports too about him you know about the way the nfl views him daniel jeremiah said you know don't be surprised he's the first you know back off the board like a month ago or so him and then just a little bit lower uh ramondre stevenson and i know uh me and froton ag- agree on this one ramondre stevenson you didn't see him as much in college um in part you know, there was suspension and, and, and stuff like that. He had one of the great recent seasons in Juco, like three years ago or something. Um, but this past season, when he came back off of that suspension, by the way, there's no character uh, you know, concerns here, like as far as that goes. But when he came back off of that, um, you just saw him dominate down the stretch for Oklahoma. Like this is a kid that was so good. He essentially chased Trey Sermon out of Norman, right? And that's the reason the Trey Sermon's at Ohio State. And then again, when he came back, he was just like, you know, Kennedy Brooks and, you know, whatever guys were there, like, get out of here. I got this thing. Froton and I were talking about this a couple of days ago. Earlier in the season last year, Spencer Rattler, you know, they're highly regarded, you know, the first hand pick Lincoln Riley, you know, quarterback is going to start a redshirt freshman and everything. 
like he was decent to start out the season, but it, he was disappointing to the people, you know, in terms of thinking of, of his pedigree. But the second Ramondre Stevenson got back on the field and starts dominating, Spencer Rattler's game went way up. And it, it was like every single week, you know, it was just boom, boom, boom until the end there against Florida when Oklahoma was just raided fire from the sky. And Ramondre Stevenson had, had a couple of runs in that game that were absolutely absurd. He runs with a ton of power and he's also got a bit more wiggle than you would think for a big guy. There's a lot of things that I like about him. And again, the experience level and stuff like that, he's still learning. But another you know aspect that I like about his game, he, he passed blocks. He's like a very good blocker to the point that if he somehow does not make it as a running back, he will make it as a fullback or an H back, whatever. He's also a better receiver than people think. Again, he, he didn't get a ton of opportunities in this area, but whenever he did, he produced far more efficient and far more explosive receiver than, for instance, Chuba Hubbard, that I think people will think, you know, they're going to go right around or Chuba might go higher. Even in that area, he, he's better than the athlete, you know, that, that played around 230, 240 pounds. So I, 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 I like him a lot. Proton, I don't know about you, but I am shocked to hear Thor mention the name Javante Williams here. <laughs> I did not see that coming as one of his favorite draft targets. Well, in Thor's defense, I, I believe he put out his running backs uh, evaluation like, I don't know, a month ago? Two, I think. Yeah, the name Javante Williams has been appearing on this podcast for a while now. Yeah, too. It's been a long time. He was first. He was first on Javante Williams. Uh, obviously, he's a special talent, led at PFF since they started coming up with the broken tackle percentage metric, he has the highest in the history of PFF. So that in Not itself, even yeah, by far. number two ain't even close. Not even close to 0.48, I believe. That's off the top of my head. But, you know, so in other words, he's breaking the tackle every other run. It was simply absurd. And uh, obviously he has the juice to be able to, to hit the home runs, which he has that extra gear that even though Najee Harris was special and he was amazing, uh, he was great. But he doesn't have that second gear like Javante does. You know, he just doesn't get caught from behind. Uh, as far as Ramondre Stevenson, you know, the only thing that's really knocking him in my eyes uh, is just his workout was unspectacular. You know, he, he isn't a workout warrior. Um, but, man, the, the guy comes in at 227 pounds. And when you watch the tape, if you isolate the tape of Ramondre Stevenson and you see his elusiveness, as Thor you know, alluded to, for a guy that's 230, and they even said he might have been up around 240 during the season that he kind of trimmed down for the testing process, to have the kind of feet he does and the ability to spin out of tackles where you, you very rarely, even though he's that big, if he wants to give you a clean shot, he's going to give it to you. But it's hard for defenders to square him up as much because he's, he's got that that subtlety to his game. And uh, I, I just think he's somebody that if you watch the tape and you trust the tape, you're going to be higher on Ramondre Stevenson than some of just the data wonks will be. And the last guy I'm going to mention who's, you know, my small school special, I'm a big Elijah, Mit Elijah Mitchell fan from Louisiana, you know, Billy Napier, offensive guru, head coach. Uh, he used a three-back rotating system between him, another guy, Trey Regis, who is also uh, good size, 220 pounds, 5'11". Both of them have similar stature, but Elijah Mitchell, he can do it in all facets of the game. He hits, he's a one-cut back, he hits that hole hard, and when he does, he's hitting it with authority, and he's got speed for that 220 pounds frame he has. He Deceptively, he gets through the hole quick, and beyond that, He's got much better receiving skills than he kind of gets credit for. He wasn't used as much in that facet of the game. But if you watch the, their game where they upset Iowa State, who ended up going to the Big 12 title game last year and ended up getting rocked by a fully formed Oklahoma team with Ramondre Stevenson. But they ended up beating Oklahoma early in the season. They lost to Louisiana. And uh, Elijah Mitchell was phenomenal in that game. And especially out of the backfield where he made – two or three pretty impressive catches, including one, which is a one-hander uh, that he had to sort of tip to himself, gather, you know, locates the defender, puts a move on him, and then accelerates to the sidelines and beats a safety to the sideline around the edge who had the angle on him was converging. It really showed his speed and his ability to accelerate off of the catch, which is something that's really going to translate well to the NFL. I'm a big fan of his. I can't believe that I'm looking at our consensus ranks, which takes all the experts around the industry and collates them. I can't believe that Larry Roundtree's listed in front of him. I can't believe Jared Patterson, who is at best diminutive and a between the tackles runner, it doesn't have the sort of um, versatility that you'd expect for somebody his size to be able to catch passes. I can't believe that those guys would be ranked in front of him. And frankly, I like him more than I like Chuba Hubbard because I feel like he's a system play. 
who had a phenomenal offensive line at Oklahoma State and, and a great uh, scheme behind uh, you know Mike Gundy, who is an offensive guru. So uh, big Elijah Mitchell fan. All right, let's take it to wide receivers, Thor, a wide receiver you believe you are higher on than most others. A first round would be Rashad Bateman. Again, a guy that, you know, for me, he's been wide receiver for the entire time. I'm first rounder the entire time. There's some people who still see him as a second round player, and I don't understand that. I, I don't know what else you need to see. As a guy truly dominant on the outside in 2019, he was, he was good in the slot as well, even though that's not the position he should be playing in 2020. You know, he got forced there after Tyler Johnson left. He put up a poor quarterback play at the last couple of years. The Gopher offense last year was particularly had fallen. Uh, Bateman was, you know, essentially their source of offense there. Um, but at the NFL level, he's an ex-outside boundary receiver. You can't stop him at the line because of his footwork. Former basketball player, strong guy off the line as well. You don't draw, you know, contact. It doesn't affect him. Um, and then down the field, the routes are going to give you throwing windows. He, he's going to offer you multiple throwing windows throughout his route and the ball skills are really, really good. Um, you know, we, we've talked about this before, but if you just looked at his, you know, his highlights in the top 10, he might give the best top 10 catches of any receiver going back 10 years. Just absolutely ludicrous catches. Only concern, you know, again, there's a, a few more concentration drops, but not an enormous issue. You know, just a small thing to clean up. Um, he is a surefire uh, first round guy. And I heard this morning, uh, I saw a report that the Packers liked him. And then I, I heard from a Packer reporter that texted me after that, that he'd been told that the Packers will take Rashad Bateman if he is on the board there. I, I think you're going to see Rashad Bateman go on Thursday. And I would presume earlier than that. I, I think the NFL likes him more than some of the media folks would have indicated earlier in the process. Sure. Absolutely. I have no problem with Rashad Bateman. In fact, one of the players that I really like at wide receiver is a guy that I have very close to Rashad Bateman. In fact, I think he's probably, you know, for me, he's right there at that four or five. I love Elijah Moore. And I know I've said it before, but his ability to stretch the field from the slot is something that is fairly unique to this class. You're not going to see Kadarius Tony doing it. You're not going to see Rondell Moore doing it. Down the board, I could see Jalen Darden, who's another guy I'm a big, big fan of. Uh, possibly having that sort of a skill set in a lesser capacity. But when you're talking about he he wins in space, you get him in space, he's dangerous, Elijah Moore. He's actually the same dimensions as Jalen Waddell, you know, and nobody has a problem with Jalen Waddell going in the top 15 and being ranked as one of the top two, three wide receivers, you know. So with Elijah Moore showing incredible ball skills, wildly productive at, at Ole Miss and Lane Kiffin's offense, and the ability to stretch the field and play all over the formation. He's a complete player, and he's currently, I mean, I've seen Kadarius Tony routinely mocked in front of him. Uh, I think he's right there with Rashad Bateman. I think it's kind of a toss-up. I respect if you're looking for the more of the outside threat that Bateman presents, but if you want the kind of jack-of-all-trades who can do everything, I love Elijah Moore. Um, a couple other guys down the, the line, uh, I love Tamari and Terry. And I'm looking at him and seeing that he's kind of around like the 24 wide receiver, 24 range. Uh, I, I think he's phenomenal. The biggest knock on him is just you know, injuries. He, he's had a couple injuries, uh, his, his thinner frame, but he's a guy who's six, four and he has added size uh, and he's kept up that speed. And on film, you see him, he doesn't get caught. He makes incredible catches. He knows how to high point the ball. And he has much more uh, agility, smooth hips than you're going to see from a lot of the bigger wide receivers in this class. And I think he has a real chance to stick. Lastly, uh, just for the sheer freak nature of what he possesses, Simi Fajoko, man, this guy, if you can get him uh, some polish, you know, work on his Rotterdam technique, he's 230 pounds and he ran in the four threes. He has incredible ability to go up and get the ball. His athletic score is everything about him screams athlete, screams, you know, intimidating outside wide receiver where, you know, you have to be careful when you're projecting the contested catch guys, because a lot of times in college, what it means when you're a contested catch guy is you can't separate. Listen, he can separate and he can go over the top of, of other cornerbacks. If you're going to try to you know, guard him with somebody on the small side, he can either burn them or he can bully them. And, and I think if he just gets a little more polish, works on his technique and his route running more, he wasn't asked to do as much 
at Stanford, I think you can uncover a gem. I, I got to toss in a couple more names now because Froton's going going over with the Dave. So I, I got to toss in a couple. <laughs> Tutu Atwell going a little bit further down. Tutu is like falling way down where it seems like you can be like a third or fourth round pick. I don't understand that. Kadarius Tony is a manufactured extended handoff guy. Tutu does that stuff just as well as him, but he does one other thing Kadarius Tony can't do, which is catch the ball 20 yards downfield. In 2019, Tutu Atwell had he was number two in the or might have been number one in the nation, I forget, of catchers uh, 20 yards downfield where he was open. You know, like there was a halo around him. Either finished first or, or, or second in the nation. F- finished better than Jamar Chase, by the way. So, I, you know, I would toss out him and then Froton, one guy that I thought you were going to say, but you didn't. But I know that we we agree on a little bit later is Tim Jones from Southern Miss. I did the seven-round mock, and I put him right outside of it. But that's more because I, I think the NFL might not draft him. But to me, he's more of a you know, fifth round guy. So I I think he's a guy who could fall just because of his school circumstances. Like Southern Miss has been a joke. I mean, especially last season when they went through three head coaches, which was an absolute tire fire. Um, And Tim Jones was basically the only stud on that team. I I think he might've had a 90 plus PFF grade, like in the, when he was playing last year. So he, he would be the other guy that I would toss in there. Absolutely. Tim Jones, nothing but love for Tim Jones. My gosh, I I, I implore anybody who wants to, who is looking for that late, late round sort of a steal, go and take a look at Tim Jones's tape and see how smooth he is. I mean, he, you know, you put him in the slot, he's got good size. He's 6'1". He's like 190. He's not small. He's got su- he's know? got and, such better chance of, of sticking than a lot of these guys oh. people talk about, like Ty- like Tyler Vaughn's. Give me a break. You know, a non-athletic kid that you know, never did anything over four years, you know, never had that jump up in, in, in USC or, you know, Dax Milner or Trey Walker Racy McMath or, you know, Warren Jack, you know, the, the big dude that, you know, that's not going to be able to get separation in the NFL. Like all these guys that, that I hear about, uh, Tim Jones, he has a much better shot to hang in the NFL than them. And by the way, a much better shot to become a starter, too. Absolutely. Tim Jones is for real. And you got you to gotta keep in mind, he was in the same wide receiver core as Quez Watkins, mm-hmm. who was another guy I really liked in the last season. In fact, I wrote a sleeper wide receivers column and he was prominently featured. Uh, he ended up sticking with the Philadelphia Eagles because He's a complete, technically sound, refined wide receiver who knows how to find holes in zone coverage and is dependable. You know, and I think even Tim uh, Jones, he's smoother. Like, uh, you know, uh, Watkins a little more fast twitch, a little more, you know, herky jerky. I I love watching Tim Jones work and I think he could really stick. And and some team, I think, at least if they put him on the practice squad and give him a chance, I, I think he could be a productive NFL player. You can't say tight end in this draft without immediately thinking of Kyle Pitts. And based on what you said on our tight end episode, Thor, I would argue you actually are higher on Kyle Pitts than most of the industry is based (laughs) on your enthusiasm for him when we talked about him a month or more ago. But Thor, do you have a name who's not Kyle Pitts who you are higher on than the rest of the industry from the tight end group? I really do love Tommy Tremble, but I don't think I can say him because now, you know, I had him in the top three, but now I think he's the top three or, around the industry. So I I, I want to but I love, love Tommy Tremble. So you got to go lower for this one, I think. Two names I'll toss at you. W- when you're going lower in this class, of this tight end class, it's going to be a niche. Obviously, you're not going to get someone who even, you know, going forward is going to be able to, you know, be a two-way guy. I think you're looking for more for a guy to plug a niche. Uh, Kenny Yaboa from Mississippi, a guy who started out this process a little bit higher, and then he just sort of tested his an above average athlete, you know, it wasn't necessarily concerning or, you know, you know, to that degree, but some of these other guys that blew it out of the water in their pro day testing, then sort of hopped him. I think Kenny Yabo is a better player than, you know, some of those guys. Guy don't miss last year, watch Elijah Moore. It was, it was the Kenny Yabo and Elijah Moore show. Those two, along with Matt Corral would basically take on these giants, these Goliaths by themselves. They kept up with Alabama, those three, you know, it's like three on five in basketball kind of a thing. These ridiculous scores and Lane Kiffin, the coach, it was great. You know, as far as a, a move tight end guy, a big slot, um, he's going to do that stuff for you. We, you know, again, we, we saw it last year. What I like about him is he has improved as a blocker every year. He's a bit smaller, lacks a little bit of length and lacks some sand in the pants, probably to project as, as a guy that could take a ton of inline snaps for you. But as far as a big slot that can move around, you know, th- thinking of him more as like an H back uh, type of thing, he's become a very good lead blocker. He's become a good blocker in space. Like it, 
you trust him in those situations. So, you know, for a team that doesn't have, um, you know, for instance, a guy that, you know, if they, the goal line, you know, a lead blocker also looking for a big slot kind of a thing, and they haven't gotten one earlier on in the draft. Yabo is a guy who at this point, the way people are talking about it, might fall to the fifth or the early sixth. He's a guy I would take a shot on. One other name for you, this guy is not going to be fantasy relevant going forward, but he's, he's going to help an NFL team a lot, I think, is Dylan Saner from Iowa State. Um, second best blocking tight end in this class behind only Tommy Tremble. He tested as an above average athlete as the biggest tight end in the class. And you, you watch him block, he wipes people out. Like for a team that needs the inline complement to the guy they already have as their big slot, a team that plays a lot of uh, 12 personnel, Dylan Sainer is going to help your, your running game a lot. And we saw last year that he has reliable hands. You know, they hadn't thrown him the ball up before. He's not going to catch the ball 10, 15 yards down the field, but he's now you know, an outlet receiver. There's a couple different teams that I know like him that I know I have on good authority to like him. Um, Atlanta is one of them. The other one, I actually think he's going to go to Baltimore playing, you know, along Baltimore could use a guy like that and playing alongside Andrews. That is the kind of situation that Saner needs to get into. And he's a guy that could actually play early. I think potentially just because of his utility as a blocker and certainly on special teams, that's going to show as well. So those two guys. For me, uh, obviously, I love Yaboa, and since it's a fantasy program, you know, he definitely has the potential to be an impact player. Uh, if you go back and you look, as Thor alluded to, his tape from Old Miss, he did transfer in from Temple, where he was lightly used. You know, he, uh, he was more of a security blanket there for the first three years of his career. But then when he got over to, to Mississippi, uh, they really expanded the playbook for him, and he thrived in Lane Kiffin's system, where uh, the previous year at FAU, he had the only tight end in the country that went for a thousand yards, you know? So he goes over to Mississippi and he turns Kenny Yaboa into that sort of a, a weapon and he, he rose to the challenge. So nothing but respect Kenny Yaboa, very talented pass catcher. But when it comes to my favorite sleeper pass catcher of the tight end class this year, there is only one name. And it's a guy that I know Thor loves. We both, I, I absolutely am shocked by the fact that he is currently slotted in as the number 15 tight end. And the only reason I can figure out for it is because he tore his Achilles before this season started and might be hampered heading into this season is BYU's Matt Bushman. Wildly productive tight end from the second he stepped on campus, went off a, and did the typical BYU thing, which is did his mission. Uh, but as soon as he came back first year on campus, each year, three years, 500 yards plus receiving and was the go-to option, hands down. You know, this is, you got to remember, 2019, hey, Gunnar Romney and Dax Milne was still around. It was the Matt Bushman show each of those three years. If you watch him on film, his hands are, are amongst the, you know, there's going to be the Kyle Pitts. Number but I'll give him the best hands, the second best yeah. hands in the class. He has the ability where um, you see multiple times where a – still developing Zach Wilson and then a never developed Tanner Mangum were throwing passes to him. And he had to make in route adjustments that were simply amazing and make those catches. Now he's running across the formation on a cross, you know, he's, he's 10 yards down the field gets thrown behind him and you see him plant with his outside foot, stop, catch the pass, which is behind him, pivot off of that and into the direction of the pass and you just see the safeties run right past him, and he gets another 10 to 15 yards off of it. Very like cerebral, great feel, knows how to find a good pocket in the zone, but he can stretch the field down the seam as well. Just an incredible pair of hands, incredible feel. Not, he's sort of small in the lower body, so he's not going to be as effective as a blocker. He's not an every-down tight end. But if you're looking for a flex, and it, you, know, you can have him cheaply, and if you can afford to throw in the practice squad and wait until he's healthy, Matt Bushman is going to be, he has the hands to be a productive uh, move tight end in this league. And I can't believe he's this far down. He will be a fantasy factor at some point. Yeah, and and by the way, I just need to say this in advance that uh, Froton and I had a discussion before the show because you know for people wondering why didn't he talk about Bushman? I know Thor loves Bushman. Uh, I I get you know Froton could talk about him. You know, so I could hit a couple other because we both love the kid. Obviously, um, I don't think that Matt Bushman is going to be on a practice squad next year. I don't care if he goes undrafted. You know, he, he's going to go later than certainly Froton and I would take him. He's going to factor into a passing offense as a rookie. He's so similar to Mark Andrews. In fact, they came out in the exact same high school. Class 
class, very similar dimensions, very similar games, strengths, weaknesses, all that sort of stuff. He's basically, you know, Mark, again, same age, you know, but with, with injuries. And we didn't get to see him in, you know, in 2020 because of that. Um, so we haven't seen him for a couple of years. If Matt Bushman had been healthy in 2020 and playing in that offense against that procession of just dog, you know, what defenses the BYU played all year, he absolutely would have been at least a fourth round pick. And I think he would have been a day two pick. But at this point, because of the, you know, the way that things happen and he's an older prospect, et cetera, he's going to fall sixth, seventh, and who knows, maybe even out of the thing, the way he's being, you know, ranked around the industry, that's outside of how many tight ends have been taken in the last few drafts. So the industry as a whole is telling you he is not a draftable player. They are wrong. He will, as a rookie factor, into a passing offense. Matt Bushman is a heck of a player. The only reason why I said he would be practice squad eligible is just because of the Achilles issue and to see how far he will be. By the time camp opens, he'll be about 11 months off it because he, he tore it in training camp. So he never even stepped on the field. So um, if he can you know, recover quick enough to be a factor in camps, I can't see how he doesn't stay. We celebrate diplomacy on these draft podcasts, and I just want to say, what a moment there. Thor letting Froton have the Bushman talk. That was a really nice moment there, guys. This is a moment for me. No one has ever said that I had diplomacy in my life. I'm going to call my Bob when we get off the episode. Be like, Bob, you'll never guess what they said on the episode. (laughs) A statesman, Thor. Yeah. You got to listen to Minute 47, Mom. Guys, anything to mention on the site before we get out of here? We got the uh, the rankings up. I you know I got my top five hundred. I got the position ones, and then I did a seven round mock. It was up yesterday, um, I, I believe. Check those out on uh, NBC Sports Edge NFL Draft. Uh, on well, obviously we have the draft coming up on Thursday evening. Everybody's excited, but Thor, myself, I believe John Daigle will be on Twitter Spaces or whatever it's their live stream is called. I believe it's. Twitter spaces or something to that effect, but we will be live on Friday to discuss the upcoming second and third rounds and who we think fell, who uh, could be options for each teams. And, you know, our personal favorite prospects are still on the board for day two. So uh, be on the lookout for that. on Twitter. And maybe a, a live day two mock is, is what we're hoping for. We'll see. We can dream. We can dream. Okay, you can follow these guys on Twitter at Thorku, at CF Froton, and keep it tuned to NBC Sports Edge for draft blurbs, analysis, instant reactions, and much more. Thor, Eric, thanks, guys. Thanks to all of you for listening. Enjoy the draft, everyone. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.